And hello, people of the internet. How's it going today? How you doing? I'm Billy Bones, and this is a walk through the mind. A moment where we can sit down, hang out, chit-chat, discuss a handful of ideas that have been bouncing around inside my head, see if we can't take those ideas for ourselves and go out and get the conversation started with friends, family, the people we meet on the street, or maybe we just get those gears turning within our own heads and see where it takes us. So how's the climate where you are? Is it overcast? Is it cold? Is it sunny? Are you listening to this sometime in the future and it's the middle of summer? Or I guess long soon enough in the future it'll be the dead of winter, frigid, cold day. Oh, that's weather. Daily events are weather. Climate is kind of how areas of the world are impacted by global weather events. And climate more or less kind of revolves around the general malaise, the general terms, times. Temperatures, all of the above, and what that habitat has to offer, whether it's consistently rainy or consistently sunny, or maybe, as I've heard from the stories, Siberia being a frozen wasteland, it's Russia, all of Russia is cold and frozen and dark and gray, it's probably all black and white still there too. But weather and climate and the models, the information that we consume, or not you and I at least, the smart people that help us figure out what's going on day to day. That's been on my mind. Kind of a, a full week of audio. And they all kind of seem to play on one another. I'm leaning heavy on audio this week. But I'll start with a little bit of audio clips I got from, rightfully stolen from the No Agenda show with John C. Dvorak and Adam Curry. From show 1589, this rather smart individual, John Clauser, had a little bit of a moment on the NTD network. And we'll start with the little audio I heard from, again, the No Agenda show. Now zooming in on the debate over climate issues, Nobel laureate John Clauser says all the major climate models are flawed and that there's no climate emergency. He sits down with American Thought Leaders host Yanya Kellogg to discuss. Dr. John Clauser won the 2022 Nobel Prize in Physics for his contributions to quantum mechanics. In a recent episode of American Thought Leaders, he explains why he considers major climate models to be flawed. The IPCC has 40 different computer models, all of which are making predictions, and all of which are being quoted by the press as predicting a, a climate crisis apocalypse. The problem is they all are in total disagreement, violent disagreement with each other in their predictions. And not one of them is capable of predicting uh, retroactively, of predict, uh, explaining the history of the Earth's uh, climate for the last hundred years. So, Mr. John Clauser, is he a doctor? I didn't hear the proper title. Knows a little bit about quantum physics, quantum mechanics. There's a little 13-minute kind of speech that he does at... Uh, Quantum Korea 2023, where he kind of backs up his points in the terms of the amount of information and data out there does not seem to fit, especially when you're able to change and shift the data in whichever way that you want, especially when clouds are not included. 
Clouster says all the major climate models fail to consider one key variable, the effect of clouds. He says the models are done with a cloud-free Earth when the real Earth is shrouded in clouds. The cloud cover fraction fluctuates uh, quite dramatically on daily, weekly time scales. We call this weather. <laughs> you can't have weather without having clouds. And it is this fluctuation in cloud cover of the Earth that causes what I would refer to as sunlight reflectivity thermostat that controls the climate, controls the temperature of the Earth, and stabilizes it uh, very uh, powerfully and very dramatically. Uh, of this mechanism, totally uh, uh, heretofore unnoticed, this is clearly the most important, the controlling uh, mechanism for the Earth's temperature and, and climate, and it dwarfs the effect of CO2 and methane. All the government programs that are designed to uh, limit CO2 and methane should be immediately uh, dropped. Now, eliminating CO2 and methane, maybe, maybe not. I'm not a scientist. This guy's a lot smarter than me, but I can definitely tell you the difference clouds make down here in Tennessee. You go out on a clear day where there's no, not a cloud in the sky, and poor gingers like me roast and turn into a lobster in about 3.2 seconds. You feel it. Even in the early morning, like I said the other day, you're just watering the plants. It's hot. UV, it's crazy. But as soon as those clouds come over, or at least just sitting in the shade, you go out in the sun, you'd be burning to a crisp, and you sit in the shade, and it's a reasonable temperature. It's still hot, especially when you get the breeze going. It's comfortable. And so when we've got the clouds coming through and flying over above, overhead, it definitely changes the temperature of greater things. Clouds are a part of the climate, but if they're not included within the climate models, within the greater mathematical understanding of things, it can definitely throw off all sorts of different variables in how we forecast and predict and understand how things are going about. Clauser was one of two Nobel laureates to recently sign a declaration organized by the Clintel Foundation alongside 1,600 other scientists and professionals stating there is no climate emergency. He says America's current climate policies are wasteful, misguided, and counterproductive. These geoengineering proposals... Uh, uh, are outrageously expensive, and they're totally ineffectual. There's no way you're going to have any effect. But, the okay, my surprise is that people are upset with what I, I'm giving, I believe, to be good news. The good news is we don't need to. We don't need all that geoengineering. Good thing it's not geoengineering. It's weather modification, as we learned not too long ago from Good Morning America with their cloud seeding technology because of the increase in rain. That includes clouds. How is that dealt with in the models? It's precipitation. That's a different sheet of paper. That's a different classroom. That's not my problem. That's over there. We're talking about climate change as a major problem. But also on that term of climate change, all that reporting, all of these models that we use to forecast, foretell the future, and how we don't have certain information being included. In the Mercury News, 
little newspaper from out in California. Came to fame with a individual with the last name of Webb talking about cocaine. That's back then. Now, they're citing their story, as I shall read the first couple paragraphs. Is talking about a Bay Area scientist says he left out the full truth to get climate change wildfire study published in prestigious journal. A new study most of mostly Bay Area scientists found that human-caused climate warming has increased the frequency of extremely fast-spreading California wildfires has come into question from the unlikeliest of critics, its own lead author. Patrick T. Brown, climate team co-director at the nonprofit Breakthrough Institute at Berkeley and a visiting research professor at San Jose State University, said his August 30th paper in the prestigious British journal Nature is scientifically sound and advances our understanding of climate change's role in day-to-day wildfire behavior. But Brown this week dropped on the journal, as well as his study's co-authors who are staunchly defending the team's work. In an online article, blog post, and social media post, Brown said he left out the full truth to get my climate change paper published, causing almost as much of a stir as the alarming findings themselves. Brown wrote that the study didn't look at poor forest management and other factors that are just as if not more important to fire behavior because I knew that it would detract from the clean narrative centered on the negative impact of climate change and thus decrease the odds that the paper would pass muster with nature's editors and reviewers. He added such bias in climate science misinforms the public and makes practical solutions more difficult to achieve. I will make note, Mercury News, get yourself an editor for this guy. This paragraph needs some commas. But we're not allowed to talk about poor forest management. We discussed that back in episode 116 of A Walk Through the Mind, Land Management, talking about the reasons we can't have forest management, and if we even bring it up, it seems, it goes against the narrative that there is climate change, that there is an increase in fires. So leave it out. Don't bring it up. It's not a problem. It's all climate change. So where else do we go when we look at all of this climate change, all of this shenanigans, leaving out clouds, leaving out forest management? What about when there are extreme weather events? The easy Example to cite right now is what comes to mind is Maui, the Lahaina fires that torched that entire town. Terrible news. It's kind of fallen off the wayside. Everybody was talking about it for two weeks and then it's gone. No updates. I'm sure we'll get an update. But flooding. Flooding has been a big thing. And I guess whenever you have to, have to, want to own a house that is in a flood prone area, you got to pay for flood insurance. I don't know if there's tornado insurance, there probably is, and hurricane insurance and earthquake insurance and all that other fun stuff. But Hurricane Sandy, long time ago, made impact on the East Coast, causing big old problems for the poor folk, the poor middle class folk up on the eastern seaboard in the New England area. When you think of things like flood insurance mm-hmm. and the cost of flood insurance, big. FEMA prices flood insurance basically at a level that the private market can't compete. Right. And so in many ways, the federal government is encouraging development in... In flood zones. In flood zones. And right. flood zones are not just on the coastline. You know, we're seeing dramatic... Rivers, yeah. Right, we're seeing dramatic flooding problems in the Northeast, inland. Uh, Look what just happened in Vermont and New Hampshire. They correct. Got, they got slaughtered up there. Yeah, so I... 
you know, I see ads on TV for FEMA and it's cheap. And I'm like, uh, that, that seems counter to sort of public safety. Um, you know, a dozen or almost a dozen years ago when we had Superstorm Sandy hit, you know, one of the byproducts, I know I'm going off on a tangent. But well, a decade ago, that was a, that destroyed huge swaths of yeah. New Jersey and New York and just up and down the whole Yeah, Long States. Island, the South Shore. Um, and uh, what came out of that is a lot of product that was destroyed mm-hmm. and was middle-class housing. Yeah. And so the resulting product on the waterline, and they rewrote the, the FEMA maps for the New York City metro area. Uh-huh making them much much bigger coverage area and politically it was shot down because it would make it more expensive and um and what we saw in parallel to that is that you know say you had two modest houses on the shore uh south shore of long island that were destroyed um investors would come in and buy both lots and build one big house Mm -hmm. and that's that's been you know after a significant flooding events like in Fort Myers, um, you know, that's what you're seeing come back. It's, you know, the, the existing sort of middle class, um, modest housing is destroyed and those homeowners can't build. What I've noticed on the South shore of Long Island, both in Nassau County and out in the Hamptons is when you are rebuilding a destroyed house, Seems the rules are you have to elevate that house, yes, ten or thirteen for like substantial, like a whole flight of stairs up, and um, everything that's underneath that is just outdoor storage essentially, correct, with breakaway walls but cement pilings, yes, holding the house up on the assumption that there's going to be another uh, storm that will raise water levels five, and that's how they can continue to get flood insurance. So that was Jonathan Miller being interviewed by Barry Ridholtz, Master in Business Product, looking at how FEMA, Federal Emergency Management Association, comes in and offers subsidized flood insurance to help people afford to be able to get in, undercutting the private companies, the private insurance companies that employ a whole bunch of people. And so we've got articles in today's show notes talking about how, like with the wildfire risks, of this climate change that's going on. California has an exodus of homeowner's insurance. Your bank will not insure your home if you do not have insurance, at least until you own the home outright, and then you can choose whatever kind of homeowner's insurance you want, even if you don't want it, unless your HOA says you have to have it. But we got the federal government undercutting private companies that pay people better, better insurance, better wages and whatnot. Because they're willing to charge and try and scam the people out of all the money that what that they want. Because it's insurance, but at the same time, if we're not going to save that money, kind of easier to pay a lump sum, consider it a bill. And then it's all paid out at the end instead of us, again, having to make sure we keep those pennies in the jar. Well, let's hear just one, one little bit more from Mr. Miller and Mr. Ridholtz on the insurance rates due to climate change. Climate change... I think of it as just bringing a higher frequency of disasters and larger scale disasters. So into bigger the mix. and more. Other than that, no. other than that, nothing. Other to than worry that, about. it's a hoax. Uh, it's a, exactly. <laughs> right. um, but uh, you know what's interesting, you know, and and uh, so first of all, you know, a it it adds to your cost of home ownership. B you have the insurance industry sort of grappling with can they continue 
at the premium, even close to the premiums that they're with, when you think of there's already insurance crisis in Florida. I mean, the, it's crazy what's going on there. You can't. It's very hard to get insurance. And and that was my point uh, before is that you know uh, FEMA federal program is basically cutting out by having such low pricing relative to the private markets is cutting out the private markets. So it's just bringing on more risk onto the taxpayer right. um, for these locations. Uh, yeah, wildfires in California. Um, all this just means uh, a higher cost of home ownership and eventually some markets not being suitable for occupancy. I mean, you know, I mean that's, that's really what it what, comes what down is- to. And I guess there is also something to keep note of in regards to comparing, you know, combining the the wildfires and whatnot to Lahaina and the flooding that happened in New York is that, you know, these people, these, what happened in Lahaina, all of those were old, old, old buildings. And now if you want to rebuild, if you want to renew those structures, you're going to have to have fire extinguishers or fire suppression units all built in. You need a proper amount of water pressure going on. You need certain kind of gypsum board that is fire resistant and you can't have a certain occupancy level. You can't have open windows. You can't have the, I'm sure there were palm tree style roofs and also kind of all bouncing around. There's so much information here. Just trying to figure it all out on that John Clauser quantum Korea deal there on that YouTube page, seeing as they just had a, a fun poke at what climate change is. The United Nations decided to add some context to Mr. Clauser, Dr. Clauser's uh, speech saying climate change refers to the long-term shifts in temperature and weather patterns mainly caused by human activities, especially the burning of fossil fuels. So the burning of fossil fuels is going to create more extreme weather events. Now to kind of start the wrap-up of this grand scheme of things, one other individual that I got to listen to today was a an, an associate professor at the University of North Carolina, Jessica Winkle. And she's done a lot of research. She does research into the greater weather effects and whatnot, climate science, but also how it in, kind of impacts in, in society as a whole. And she's been, she's a better Substack writer than she is a interviewee. But that's not to say that some of our in, some of our audio isn't available or isn't useful. Professor Winkler, take it over. Insurance is a complicated business, right? Yes, they, definitely. <laughs> they provide you coverage um, for some risk that you might have, um, but they also have a big investment back end, right? And so the way that you your insurance experience can be largely effect can be affected a lot by whatever's going on in their investment world, the state of the markets, market volatility, like um, any number of things. What is being, what happens often, particularly in the area of um, cat risk and hurricanes, fire, uh, flood, is that it gets captured by, in my opinion, it gets captured by the climate change narrative. So you see a lot of advocacy in those that really want climate change to be real for people to then um, position the problems that we have with insurance within that narrative. So the reason that we're having this problem is because of climate change, right? And so 
from that frame, it makes climate change real because now you're paying for it. Now you're actually struggling with insurance. You're struggling to keep your mortgage. You might have to sell your house and then you don't know how you're going to pay for your kid's college, right? So you're losing that equity, whatever. Um, and that makes climate change real. The But it gets complicated because insurance, as I began, is a complicated business. And so what they're actually responding to could be something else. As well, they could be cherry picking certain aspects of science to kind of get what they want in prices. Cherry picking little things within science. Kind of like that Nature article that only reinforces certain information. We're not talking about the wildfire management to get published into Nature. And so these insurance companies can look and say, look at look this information up and say, look, climate change is real. Wildfires are increasing. Let's not talk about the amount of sticks and dead debris that are laying around. But this interview is from the Power Hungry podcast, hosted by Robert Bryce. And I'll let him read a little segment from Professor Winkle's Substack. Financial executives point to media hype as a leading factor in driving investment profit related to climate risk. Economic researchers develop methods to use media reporting on climate change to guide investment decisions. Media reporting shapes public perceptions, that, it, but it is often itself shaped by the political elite. What is more, researchers are often rewarded by their institutions for media attention. Thus arises the potential for a circular system whereby climate change research, research that supports financial industry interests drives media reporting supporting financial industry interests. In a nutshell, if it bleeds, it leads. The hurricane damage, the tornado damage, the fire damage, the flood damage, it's huge. Climate change is real. People are losing their homes. They've chosen to live there. It's not new news that hurricanes hit Florida, that tornadoes come through Kansas, wildfires are in California, extreme heat in Texas and extreme cold in Maine. It, it's always been there. It will continue to be there. Now, will there be shift? Absolutely. There used to be ice caps that came all the way down to the Kentucky border from the North Pole. And now there's not. People live all the way through Canada, and there's not glaciers take a mile high taking up everything. But it's that cyclical situation where only the, the nittiest of grittiest gets reported, and it's reinforced. And because the damage is done and it's all there, because everybody's moving, everybody's, again, we've been improved improved on our ability to build buildings in certain situations. There's a book I've got on my list, Billionaire's Row, that talks about the, supposed to talk about the improved building capabilities in skyscrapers that sit in much smaller footprints than the Empire State Building does. I mean, the World Trade Centers were a phenomenon when they were built in that technology that was done, and we've only improved since then. And so now we're able to create much denser population in certain aspects of places. Everybody's got to have insurance, so all of that racks up. Everybody's earning money. And so why not reinforce that money-making scheme with research that supports your business model? AIR is a leading catastrophe modeling firm for the insurance and reinsurance industries, right? So, so they're advertising this thing. They'll sell you this, you know, they'll sell you the model and the scenario, and they've backed it on the research that is then 
produced by researchers with major conflicts of interest with of with other investment and financial industries. And so, right. yes, it is all just one big racket. Racket, racketeering, getting us on that, all of that. But we're not allowed to question it. It's climate change. How dare you question the climate change narrative? Climate change is real. It is real. I'll give you that. I put more faith and more credence into the argument of pollution. Let's have the talk about pollution. Not carbon dioxide, but pollution. Actual particulate matter going out into the air, into the ocean. We can have that conversation. We can talk about digging up conflict minerals and then washing it away and letting that float down river and seeing what happens. But that's not for today. We're just saying that you're not allowed to question it. You don't seem to care about human life. So here's the thing. Um, in long enduring areas of policymaking, right? Things that start going on for multiple decades, which climate change policy is that area. You start to see uh, more rigidity between <clears throat> organizations and the government and people. And, and it, it starts to create its own infrastructure and institution, right? So um, in some ways, in that way, EDF being... Um, one of the leading environmental organizations that's been there for a long time, that's been involved with climate change policy, like it, that is just the industrial complexes that Washington, D.C. will turn out, right? Because that's the way it works. The difference is that um, I think that it doesn't get looked at because everybody thinks that they're fighting the good fight, right? There could not be a conflict of interest because I am morally just, I'm, I'm doing the morally right thing, right? I'm working for the environment, I'm saving the environment. Um, and so it creates this like protective wall, like this, this force field around that industrial complex, right? The climate industrial complex, if you will, as being sort of something that's not worth interrogating, not worth looking at, and not worth seeing what it is, because that's what happens with long-standing areas of policy making and politics is that it creates these rigid structures. This has created a rigid structure, not necessarily for the better either. And so that's what I mean by both things is that it is it is the same because it's what DC does and it's different in that some because it's seen as like a morally just social movement, it can't be looked at closely. So we need these big conglomerations of groups to, again, collect all that money to make things happen. We we don't want dirty rivers and dirty oceans, and we want to make sure that buildings are safe and sound from hurricanes and earthquakes and fires and whatnot. We need to be able to have that insurance level to make sure that when the inevitable weather disaster happens, money is it somehow magically invested and set aside to help pay for the rebuilding of things because we want people to live in homes so that way they have a place to store all their crap because that's what you do with a home. You buy stuff and you keep it at your house. That's what we do. But the big big groups of senators and representatives out there that are trying to fix things create these big machines that are very selective in the information that they consume and they report on. They make money on, weasel out of their way of paying money on. And so they become these giant things that we can't shake because they're so entrenched due to D.C. and all the regulations. We've over safetified 
instead of needing just a two-point harness, we've now enabled a seven-point harness to make sure that we don't get blown away in that twister. And so how do we keep check on these things? Professor Winkle talks about the insurance companies and how they have to make disclosures when they're reporting on things, but yet these companies, she mentioned the EDF, and also within that conversation, there's a company brought up talking about the methane satellites up in the atmosphere and making sure that we're not releasing too much methane. They have jobs. Again, they need to be able to pay these people. They need to reinforce their their budget. They need to justify why they're doing what they're doing, whether or not they kind of fudge the numbers, only look at certain specific journals, or have the authors not write out the full journals. But we need to understand just a little bit more on why we have going on what's going on. The scientific journals and the scientific professional organizations um, in the natural and physical sciences are not doing a good job with their um, public, dis- with their uh, conflicts of interest disclosures in the research. And if you look at what happened in biomedical, um, again, in the 90s and the 2000s, that improving disclosures, which by no means has solved the problem, but we all know if you're a biomedical research, you're probably working with industry. Um, but they, the professional groups and the journals led on ensuring better disclosure practices, ensuring that editors had um, few conflicts of interest. Some journals decided that if you had a conflict, a financial conflict of interest over a certain point, you couldn't be a lead author on a paper. Mm -hmm. Right. So it was, it was um, within the professional groups themselves that they, they led on this. And you do not see that in, um, the natural and physical sciences at all. Like they, they're, they do have ethical, they do have ethics statements. Um, but when anything's disclosed, it's, it's a sentence or two. And when you look at the biomedical journals and you see what they're disclosing, they will have two pages of disclosures where people are talking, who are they getting paid to for, for talking for uh, editorial conflicts of interest. They, I mean, stuff that I didn't even know presented a conflict of interest, they have to have reported. And that's a big deal in just helping people understand how involved this area of research in sustainable science, climate change science has become with financial, with industry interests, particularly finance. So whether or not we're going to fix it all, whether or not we're going to know who's paying who or who's got backroom handshake deals or which company is three degrees of Kevin Bacon away from the other company that is helping them achieve their clean climate green goals. We need to pay a little bit more attention whether or not we can. Maybe we need to figure out a better way to enforce this conflict of interest and all of these things from all the way from insurance to the medical journals to just the people monitoring the CO2 or the methane, or the water temperatures, making sure that Again, their jobs stay stable. They're needed. It's mandatory. 1.5 degrees of climate change. We're all going to die. Earth is going to catch on fire. Not because the sun's exploding, but because of pollution. Not pollution, climate change. But it's a rant. It's a roll. It's all over the place. And it's just, again, trying to figure it all out. Trying to figure out 
where we are within the grand scheme of things, trying to understand if it's us or if it is actually just getting a little bit warm in here. Maybe that's because I've been ranting and raving, even though I let the liberty of my internet show guests do quite a bit of talking. But that's them. Me, I'm Billy Bones. B-I-L-L-Y-B-O-N, the number three S. You find me on Twitter, X, at Billy Bones. You find me on Macedon, the Fediverse, at Billy Bones, at NoAgendaSocial.com. And I've got a website, BillyBones.com. Remember that it's spelled with the number three instead of the letter E. And there you can find show notes. Holy show notes, Batman. There's a lot today. Most of it kind of reinforcing all of the topics that were said between all of the podcasts that I listened to that helped me present today's arguments. And there's also links to the SoundCloud and email. In case you don't want to do any of the social media, you still want to get in contact with me. There's a link for Tabletop Woodworks, handful of handcrafted items by yours truly, in hopes that you find value out of those. Because this is a value for value podcast. I'm not canceled yet. Because it is, again, a value for value podcast. If you found value out of this podcast, be it the solo episode or the entire catalog, fantastic. Thank you. I'm glad that you did. The first thing that I ask that you do is you give this show a share. Maybe someone else gets that talking point, gets the gears turning, finds a reason to invest or divest their insurance holdings. And if you did find a monetary value out of this podcast, you go to billybones.com, you scroll all the way down, you click that value for value button, it'll take you to PayPal, you chip in, you donate, you support the show in a number that you feel is appropriate. Help me pay for that wild flood insurance or that twister tornado fireball insurance. Is there asteroid insurance going on lately? But if you don't want to pay Federal Reserve Freedom Units, you can pay Satoshis, like today's executive producer, Sir Sean of the Allegheny Valley, streaming in Satoshis for last week's episode for a grand total of 2,541. Thank you very much, sir, for keeping this show alive. And thank you to everybody else just for merely listening. Thanks for tuning in. I love you guys, and I will talk to you next week.